Hi, this is David Flowers, senior pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S., and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast, and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hi there. I'm Carrie Yoder, Office Administrator at Grantham Church. I just wanted to make a quick note about this week's sermon audio. Unfortunately, there is a technical issue at the beginning of the message, and we do not have audio for Pastor Melissa's introduction and the beginning of one of our speakers, David Howell's, story. The following audio is what we were able to salvage, which starts in the midst of David's story, about his journey of chronic pain and his faith. If you have any questions, you can contact us at granthamchurch.org slash contact. Sorry for the glitch, and thanks for your understanding. ...are not what I planned. It is isolating, and it imposes restrictions in community with others and opportunities. Retirement was not supposed to be this way. I'm thankful that these times of emotional lament do not last because God comforts me during these times. When I listen to worship music, I pray or listen to scripture, I'm reminded of his love, his goodness, and his promises. Excuse me. It fills and renews my heart with praise and thanksgiving and hope. God has this, and therefore, I have it. He reminds me of the blessings I have in my life. He gives me relationships. A wife who is loving and patiently walks this journey with me. My immediate family and some friends provide love, support, and encouragement. I have been blessed with a relationship I have had with a woman who's 82 years old, and I've known her 30 years, and she has experienced severe emotional um, abuse issues and physical trauma her whole life. And she is, exhibits an honest, unwavering faith and trust, and that has been such an encouragement and um, model for me. Every day, one of the things I need to do is to keep moving, and I hope to get back in the pool. I've been a master swimmer my whole life until COVID, and um, I'm starting to work on that tomorrow. But I try and walk in fields and forests every day to experience the wonder of nature which connects me to our Creator. Witnessing the change in seasons, the temperature, the the wind, the color of the sky, birds and insects, the quietness, a leaf, a beautiful wildflower, and even in the winter, an intricate piece of ice. I am renewed, and, I'm sorry, I'm renewed. God has given me this church body 
which continually directs me to the God who looks like Jesus and propels me and encourages me to be a disciple. I'm blessed beyond words every Sunday, worshiping together with all of you. Every week, the music, the prayer, and the teaching break my heart and, <laughs> and lead me to a holy connection with God. My small group provides a means of fellowship, study, and discipleship with other men. God also reminds me that my life isn't over. Yes, it's different. Yes, it's changing, and it needs to change. The life I live outside of myself in the, in the larger world is changing. When we moved to Carlisle six years ago, I was heavily involved in community service. I have had to curtail or reduce that. My heart is willing to serve, but my body isn't. I continue to pray for discernment in how best to serve the church and my community. Mickey and I are joint CASA court-appointed special advocates for two foster children who have been removed from the care of their parents. I serve on my homeowner HOA board, volunteer at 180 Project Share, a member of the Service and Outreach Commission, and I'm a member of a faith-based social justice book club. My activity has slowed down, but with some of the wonderful, but with some wonderful insights and opportunities. With my physical limitations in mind, I have been praying that God would use me to show me how to make meaningful, deep connections with our grandchildren that would point them to Jesus. About a month ago, my oldest granddaughter, who was a teenager, was facing a traumatic, gut-wrenching event in her life. My heart ached for her, and I wanted to speak to her to convey my love and support. The sun so Sunday prior to when this event was to occur, we had a birthday party for my grandson, who was turning two. There were 11 people in attendance, and I wanted to speak to her alone, privately, without drawing any attention. Preparing to leave, I realized the time was running out. Things were being gathered, goodbyes were starting to be said, and hugs and whatnot, and I, sim I didn't know what to do, but I simply prayed, Jesus, help. And he did, and he simply took over. I found myself signaling her to follow me into the now empty dining room where we were alone. And I said her name, that I wanted to speak to her a moment. And I gently placed my hands on her cheeks and said, you have tremendous value and worth. We love you, we're praying for you, and Jesus loves you so much. And we had tears, me running down my cheek. Her, her eyes were welled up and we simply embraced couple moments. It was truly a God moment. I was filled with awe and gratitude 
and thanksgiving for God's leading, his timing, and the words he gave me. God is creating a sensitivity and connectedness to others who are challenged by suffering and physical limitations. I have been able to empathize and relate to them on a deeper level, and I'm able to share the hope and the peace I have due to my faith. Most recently, this occurred this past Friday night where I was serving at 180 in the big giveaway. A woman who I've come to know there over eight months um, experiences similar back and pain issues that I deal with. She asked me, she was telling me more of her story and I said, I can identify with that. She asked me to tell her about it. Briefly, I told her some things and I had a lumbar fusion and whatnot. And I shared how my faith gave me a future and a hope. And that it's what keeps me moving forward. She said, do you really believe that? Yes, I do, I said. Perhaps this is an opening to share more with her in the future. The life of a disciple of following Christ is a journey. Suffering is not something I would willingly have chosen for me or for anyone else. In it, I'm learning about our gracious and loving God and how he, he blesses our present, our future, and the life we'll spend with him in eternity. This is truly a precious gift. I'm continually reminded of a verse that was inscribed in the front of the sanctuary of my childhood, ch childhood church, where often as a teen, I would zone out of the sermon <laughs> and meditate on it. Jesus said in Matthew 11:28 and 29, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Good morning. Um, my name is Marnie, and um, I'm happy to have the opportunity to talk to you today. Um, although I'm hesitant to have direct attention on me, I am very happy and excited to talk about um, God's work. As a young child, I always loved babies and children. I wanted lots of them when I grew up. As I pursued a lifetime job with God's help, 
I started working in the medical field in adult cardiology. I worked in it for eight years. Then God provided me the opportunity to change to pediatric cardiology. I've been blessed to work with children in my daily job now for 16 years. When it came to having children of my own, it was a struggle. My husband and I were faced with infertility issues. We ended up going the route of IVF. I didn't know what God wanted for me or what route he wanted, um, but that's what a pastor's wife indicated. Just do what you think and let God make your plan. God became very obvious to me in this area of my life. Um, with IVF, it's different at each clinic. The clinic that I chose grows embryos to eight cells. We ended up with seven embryos. They use embryos right off, and then they freeze the rest. I had some very good embryos. They were eight cells and excellent quality. They go by the quality of the cells, and they also go by the number of cells. Some clinics grow them further beyond eight cells, but this is what mine did. I had my fresh embryos, excellent quality, um, transferred. You need to wait two weeks to find out if you're pregnant. I wasn't pregnant. We took some time, and you have to prepare for another cycle. I had um, the next cycle, and they thawed two of my embryos. They were still very good qualities and fair numbers of cell. And I wasn't pregnant. I had three not so great quality and low number cells, um, embryos left. We took some time, then we decided to do the next cycle. There's a lot of preparing of your body to get ready for the cycle with lots of injections. I remember with my first cycle, driving home, knowing I was gonna have to give myself a two inch shot in my hip, and I was going to have to do that twice a day for as long as they said, which was multiple weeks. What I was scared to death to give myself a shot that big, but I got through it. I wasn't able to depend on my husband to give me the shots for various reasons, but I got through it and I was able to do that. I prepared my body again for the last cycle. Because I didn't have great embryos, they decided to thaw all three. The morning where my embryos were to be transferred, I received the phone call from my physician, and she said, 
one of your embryos has died. You have a one cell and you have a four cell. If you would like to transfer these embryos, we're ready to do that, come as usual. Or if you would like to not transfer these embryos, you could put the money towards another thing that you might want to try. I talked to my husband, and he said, well, let's just go in. And my thought was, if my babies are going to die, they're going to die in me. We went in, and the doctor was getting ready to transfer my one cell and my four cell embryos. She said, I'm sorry I couldn't do more for you. My husband and I decided that during the two-week wait, we were going to start the home clearances and the home study for adoption. Two weeks went by, and I was pregnant. The first thing I said was, how can that be? But I know how that can be. They do very early ultrasounds. I was about six or seven weeks pregnant, and I went in. My ultrasound, of course we were excited, my ultrasound showed I either had conjoined twins or very high-risk mono-mono pregnancy. That means that both identical twins are in the same sac. So it's very likely not going to last because they will get wound up in each other's umbilical cords and they will die. We went home and I prayed. I had my hand on my belly. I didn't know whether to be excited because I was finally pregnant. My husband said, but it doesn't sound like really good news. I don't know that I knew what to say back to that. I just prayed. My next ultrasound, I went back about a month later, and they did the ultrasound, and I had one healthy baby. My baby continued to grow, and she's still growing. Having remaining frozen embryos had been a significant concern of mine when I started the IVF process. My husband and I talked about what we would do, but it was apparent that God chose my family's size, as I have no frozen embryos left. And my heart is full, and I feel satisfied. I love every moment of parenting my daughter. Certainly, I'm able to be Emma's mom only with God's help. A few years ago, I was asked by Denise Fogelsanger to help teach the learning communities for the three and four-year-olds. I was a bit hesitant because I attended an adult learning community of my own and felt it was the main way I connected with other adult Christians. However, 
It has worked out wonderfully because I have gotten to know several women very well working together in the kids' class. After the COVID-19 pandemic, I decided to become the main leader for this learning community class. I'm very glad I listened to God to make that choice. This is because working a full-time job that included going into work throughout the entire stressful pan pandemic, staying home on Sundays was very welcomed for me. Listening to the church service when I was able to get things done at home was wonderful. However, this created poor habits regarding Sunday mornings. So even now, I'm a, when I'm exhausted on a Sunday and I'm overwhelmed with housework, since I'm already obligated to be in the children's learning community class, I have no choice but to get up and get moving. And of course, this is the choice I want for my daughter too. As I teach the kids' learning community class, it, it comes very natural for me. When I first started teaching this class, a once very wise, godly woman, Amy Yates, who worked with me in the learning community class, told me, at these age of the kids, it's most important to make the kids feel God's love, to be comfortable and have fun at church. And that is my main focus for these young ones. In the class, it is fun to use a lot of things that I had used with my daughter when she was the age of these children, such as when my daughter was little, I found that she could learn the Bubble Guppy song in one night. Well, if she can learn that, then she can learn anything that I repeat over and over. So I started repeating memory verses constantly. And at two years old, I have her on videotape stating four or five memory verses right in a row, including where they're found. So every week in my kids' learning community class, we start the morning with saying John 3.16 as we march around the room. I'm sure some of the kids have this verse memorized because I see them saying it with me. We sing, This Little Light of Mine, and we talk about what their light means every week. During the class, I completely enjoy teaching simple principles of God's love and showing them God's love. Isn't that what God is all about anyway? I want them to experience God as warm and happy and not filled with a bunch of rules. It became so evident that God is working through me when one of the little girls left her paper in the classroom. So I went down the hall to give it to her, and I said, here's your paper. You need this so you can tell your mom and dad about the story today. And the mom said, oh, she's already telling me about it. I picked her up right away. She started saying, mom, do you know God is always with us? Once again, God is showing me evidence of his love through me. And of course, it thrills my soul. I was told I have a gift in working with kids. I didn't previously recognize it as a gift. However, I can see how it comes very easy for me. And I really enjoy being Emma's mom and working with the kids in my job and here at church. I am learning as I use my gifts 
It gives me so much joy as I serve God. I know these very young kids in my learning community won't remember most of the things in this learning community class. I say this because I realized this strange phenomena of a young child's limited memory, as my daughter has forgotten things from her young age, even as she was blessed with a wonderful learning community teacher. However, I recognize it's not about the kids remembering me as their teacher, but for them to know and feel God's love for them and knowing the church as a place where they are accepted and cared for. It has been a blessing for me to see my daughter now having a love for kids too. I hope I will always be a godly example for Emma as she tries to follow God's plan for her own life. Please know, I'm not a perfect Christian, mom, or teacher. And I ask that your prayers continue for me as I continue on God's journey for my life. Your journey's different. Listen to God. Hopefully sharing my testimony will continue, will encourage you to listen for God's prompting in your life. Give his plans a try and let God's blessings pour out onto you too. Thank you. Thank you to Dave and Marnie for sharing so far. And now Christian and Molly Pavlovich are joining me up here. And it's been a pleasure over the last few months to get to know them a little bit. And I'll just ask you guys to introduce yourself to us. Tell us a bit about yourself and how long you've been part of Grantham. Sure. So I'm Christian Pavlovich. This is my wife, Molly. We've been coming to Grantham for almost two years now. Uh, we're involved in two learning communities, one every Sunday morning before the service with the other young adults, and then we meet with the learning community every other week as well. Great. Well, I know you guys have shared with me how you've been experiencing God's goodness in your lives in a lot of different ways recently, but one of those, Molly, has been through your job in particular. Would you mind telling us some about that? Sure. So I've always been a, a very firm believer that everything happens for a reason and everything happens in God's timing, as you've heard in the, the previous stories as well. Um, and one example of this was about this time last year, I was reaching about the three-year mark in my previous job, and I was getting very burnt out way too early in my career. It was starting to become very detrimental to my mental health and well-being, and I knew that it was time for a change, but it had been something that I wasn't quite sure you know, when the right time was, when the right opportunity was going to come up, um, but God was 100% working behind the scenes when this opportunity became available um, at Messiah Lifeways. Um, what are the odds that a, a Brethren in Christ-rooted organization that's 10 minutes from my house that also um, has a position open within my field of like writing and communications becomes available and I'm able to accept it. That's just a God thing for sure. Um, it's been interesting to see how throughout the course of the last year my work and life have been able to overlap in a way that is building my faith 
and is lifting me up um, as a person as opposed to in my previous job when it was really the opposite. It was draining. It was it was not great for, for my spirituality and my mental health. Um, so I've been able to form a lot of great connections that overlap in my work and life through some coworkers who are also members of Grantham Church and through some residents that I've been able to meet, um, whether it be through my job and having conversations with them and realizing that they too go to Grantham Church or the opposite, you know, meeting them at, at Grantham Church and realizing that they have some connection to Messiah Lifeways. Um, so it has been really awesome to see something else that I've been praying for, that sort of faith community come into my life in a way that maybe I hadn't imagined it to, to sort of come about. Um, and the mission at Messiah Lifeways is to serve older adults with Christ-like love. So knowing that I'm grounded in that mission every single day and knowing that 40 hours in your work week is a really big time investment and knowing that those 40 hours are being well invested in sort of glorifying God, I have no doubt that um, God put me in this place and um, that's where he wants me to be at this time. That's really cool. Thanks for sharing that. And I know another, another way you've seen God's presence and work in your life as a couple is through your home and God's provision of your house. And Christian, could you tell us a little bit more about that and what that means for you? Yeah. So as many of you know, the housing market's really tricky. So when we were looking for a home through most of 2021, that was uh, a challenging time. But God came through at the end of the year, and we secured a home in downtown Mechanicsburg. And, you know, one of the reasons we really feel that God has us in this house is the relationships we've built with the people around us. And in particular, there's a family nearby with two young elementary school boys, and they've experienced a lot, far too much, unfortunately, especially for their age. But we just have the opportunity to interact with them almost on a daily basis in a lot of ways. And so I'll share with you what some of those are. And so, you know, our yard, we have a little more space, and so they play often there. Uh, a lot of other kids from other houses come by, so sometimes there's, you know, three or four houses worth of kids in the backyard playing soccer, kickball, you name it, they're, they're playing it. The other day they were dragging each other around using the garden wagon as like a yeah, they just do all kinds of stuff, but it's just a safe place for them to play. And so, you know, it's just been really cool to get to enter into into their world and, and get to know them over the last you know year and a half or so um, and be an example of Christ's love, really. And so they, they, you know, are starting to pick up on the way that we just carry ourselves differently. Some of the conversations we have, it'll be like, oh, you guys had a, you know, a, a disagreement, but you didn't yell or you know, I haven't seen you frustrated like this. You know, if I get mad, you know, I throw, you know, they throw rocks or sticks or, you know, they really fight. And so they're like, you and Molly don't do that. Why is that? They want to know. And so it's been really cool to get to, you know, just slowly, you know, share some of those th things with them, which has just been really cool. And we wouldn't be able to do that if we weren't in this house. So the fact that we have this house, it's, it's a really cool uh, opportunity that we've uh, gotten to have. Yeah, it's really cool to hear how you see that place more just more than just a place for you to kind of relax at night, but an opportunity for God to use you as a blessing in the lives of those kids. Do you want to share any more about what's kind of your, your motivation for opening that space to your neighbors and, and developing those relationships? Sure. So the kind of gut reaction to that question is like, well, I had a really great childhood. You know, I was fortunate enough to have two parents that loved me a lot and were able to do a lot with me. My dad was the coach for myself and my three siblings. Every activity we did, he learned it and was involved in it. And unfortunately, that's not something these boys will be able to have. Their, their dad's not with us. 
Um, and that's not something I can take over, but in some small way, I can be involved in some of the things they do, whether you know, we go to the baseball games and watch, or you know, they're learning a new thing, and we, they tell us about what they did at school, and so we sit and hear it out and encourage them and are excited about it. And so um, you know, that's the gut reaction to that, but you know, the step further is like, okay, you know, my dad, extremely relational, great model of Christ's love, and I'm just trying to see that, okay, here at Grantham, we're trying to you know show everybody the God that looks like Jesus, and so that that relational model. Um, you know, I just finished reading about a month ago, uh, Beautiful Outlaw, which is a great book that just dives into how relational Jesus was, especially with the disciples and how unique each one of them was, and how he knew them so intimately. And ultimately, you know, God knows me that same way, and. He wants to know those boys the same way, and they don't know that yet, but hopefully they're starting to see a glimpse of it. And as they get older and more mature and capable of some conversations like that, hopefully we'll, you know, have the, you know, kind of opportunity to do that. And so we're kind of building the foundation of that. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing. You said, um, you know, a demonstration of a way that you're trying to relate with them in a way that connects is you said recently you got some Pokemon cards because that's something that they enjoy. So... You know, maybe you just need to buy a pack of Pokemon cards and you'll be able to connect with your neighbor. But anyway, <laughs> thank you guys for sharing. And, and for the others who shared today too, it's just an encouragement to, to hear ordinary, everyday people who are experiencing uh, the, uh, the love of an extraordinary God and in relationship with Him are seeking to pour out that love to others. So that's what allows us to be able to pour into others is as we re receive and experience God's goodness as well. So let's continue in that worship this morning. Uh, thanks to Marnie, Dave, Molly, and Christian for sharing those stories with us. Uh, and here in a minute, I'm just going to talk for a few minutes here, and at the end of that, I'll be inviting all of us to share the goodness of God in our own lives with each other. So I'm telling you that now so you begin to prepare yourself, okay? Well, it, you know, it's so important to hear stories of God's goodness and how He's at work. I mean, you could just pull out your smartphone right now and look at a news app. I was doing that earlier, and just every single headline, just about right? That's no exaggeration. It's negative. It's soul-sucking. It, it's just darkness everywhere, so it would seem, right? And, uh, and it's because of that and many other things that there's been a tremendous rise in anxiety and, and depression in the past few years. Uh, you've already heard it referred to several times this, this morning due to the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, we've seen depressive symptoms grow from a base of about 193 million people worldwide to 246 million. You think about that. Anxiety disorders grew from 298 million people to 374 million, which is about a 25% increase. Young adults ages 18 through 25 in the U.S. have the highest rate of experiencing mental health conditions. That's about 30 0.6%, followed by those ages, 26 to 49, a 25% increase in adults ages 50 and over, about 14.5%. The recent studies reveal, uh, and I was exchanging texts with a parent in our church uh, this past week over this, that one in five teen girls have developed an anxiety disorder. One in five. You think about that. And they're 
lots of reasons for that, that alarming statistic. I think social media definitely is a, a big factor, and so it would seem. So how can our faith and our knowledge of, of how God has made us, and specifically our, our minds, our brain, help us resist these anxiety-inducing forces? I think sharing the goodness of God and meditating on the goodness of God is one of those things. A few years ago, I came across the work of Rick Hansen. Some of you may remember, I've mentioned him before. Rick Hansen is a neuropsychologist and uh, New York Times bestselling author, and he believes that we can use our minds to make gradual changes in our brains to transform our minds for greater life. The studies have shown that, that people who discipline themselves through uh, meditation and prayer frequently have a measurably larger neocortex in the prefrontal regions of the brain, the area that's responsible for thinking and for concentration. So prayer can help you concentrate, but that's not all. Uh, Dr. Hansen states that if one does not discipline their thinking for the better, outside negative forces such as fear, work, stress, pressure, and other people will end up mastering you. They'll, they'll shape your mind, thus your life. And as we all know, the human brain has a tendency to focus on the negative. And let's be honest, do you ever tend to focus on the negative? Just raise your hand. This is confession time. Yes, there's more of you than that. I know it. I know it. You're not fooling anybody. <laughs> we, we all tend to do this. And Hansen, who's not a Christian, he calls it an evolutionary design flaw of humanity. And this negativity bias allows negative experiences to stick to the brain like Velcro. And get that image. While positive experiences, they, they tend to pass through the mind more quickly. So we really have to stop and sit with it and rest with it and meditate on it and think about the goodness of God, to think about what is right in the world, to think about the light rather than the darkness. And so to compensate against this, Hansen highlights the importance of taking in these good thoughts and experiences, savoring them right? Like a good cup of coffee or a glass of wine or something. To savor it, to allow it to sink in. It's resting with these thoughts, he says, for several minutes each day, just to take time to do that for that sole purpose. And through this process, he believes we could hardwire the brain, what he calls uh, for happiness. It's even possible to use the mind and imagination for embracing possible positive outcomes and finding peace in the present. I mean, I, I hope that these stories that we heard are helping us to align reality to the goodness of God rather than the darkness in the world. It isn't that we ignore it or we become naive and pretend that these things aren't real and don't exist. You, you're not obligated, folks, to look at your phone first thing in the morning and doom scroll lest you not be informed. We all know that it's there. We know that it's out there. We have a choice every day to decide, are we going to align ourselves with the darkness and the reality and the terms that it wants to set, or are we going to align ourselves with what has happened through the resurrection of Jesus, right? And where the world is going, the death is being reversed, it's being undone. The darkness is on the way out, and we, we get to choose. So good news, you can change your brain. You can change your stinking thinking and get a checkup from the neck up. 
You can think of it that way. And this is consistent with what the Apostle Paul says. Listen to this verse, Romans 12, verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. By changing the way that you think. Then, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Without changing the way that we think, without aligning ourselves to the reality of light and to the resurrection and God's hope in the world, it's hard to know the love of God, isn't it? We've all experienced that. It's hard to know the will of God. It's hard to see things clearly when our minds and hearts are just surrounded by clouds of darkness. But the Lord's love and light can break through, amen? My friends, mastery over your thoughts is critical to the life of faith. And it's worth pointing out that for Paul, it's not an evolutionary design flaw, as Anton says, that has our minds in the gutter and obsessing over what's wrong in the world. You, you know these people. You start talking to them, the first thing that comes out of your mouth is negative and cynical and so forth. You, you know what they're reading and watching. You know how they're spending their time and what, what they're meditating on. You know what reality that they're living into. We don't want to be this way. None of us want to be this way. We got to do something about it. Right? And so instead of it being an evolutionary design flaw, it's, it's what the Bible calls the curse of Adam. It's, it's the flesh. And, and we, when we doom scroll, we're just feeding it. Right? We're feeding the flesh as a result of the fall. So we've got to be intentional. We have to intentionally repent of that sort of gravitating toward the darkness. And, and rather, we need to dwell on the goodness of God. So Dr. Hansen's right. But the Apostle Paul said it first. He did. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious. Don't worry about anything Paul says. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God. And then look, verse 7. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Listen to what Paul is saying. When you're worried or anxious, take it to God in prayer. By going to God in prayer, we access God's peace. And His peace protects us from evil and protects us from the darkness. You could think of it that way, to dwell and meditate on the goodness of God sets up a, a hedge of protection against the overwhelming forces of darkness in your life. It all depends upon what we focus and where we focus and what we meditate on. Verse 8 then, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Whatever you've learned or you received or heard from me, Paul says, or seen in me, put it into practice. Look at him. He says again, and then the God of peace will be with you. We all want access to God's peace. We all would rather live in peace rather than in turmoil. We'd all rather walk in the light rather than in the darkness. But we have a, we have a part to play in this. We must be intentional in fixing our thoughts on the goodness of God. We must purposely see, see how God is at work in our chronic pain. 
Not, not, what he, not what he wills, but he works through it. He works in it. All things together for good, Paul said, to those who loved him and love him and are called according to his purpose. So we must purposely choose to meditate and sit with the things that are true, noble, right, pure, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. We can do that through scripture reading. Obviously, we said through prayer, through music, through meditating on, on good art, through living lives of worship. And notice, it's not just about right thinking. Look at what Paul says. It's also about behavior and practice. We've got to embody a posture to receive God's goodness that can transform our hearts and minds in time. We must act out belief even when we don't feel it. And again, this is the way disciples can practice God's peace and presence in our lives. So there you go. There you go. Words from the Apostle Paul, the ancient neuropsychologist. Change your thinking. Set your hearts and minds on the things above, on the things of Christ. Think about the good things. Think about the good things. You might be thinking, wondering to yourself, Pastor David, I can't see past the negative things. <laughs> I'm having a hard time seeing anything good in my life. Or maybe you're even doubting the goodness of God. You've been shown many, for many years in your life a, a portrait of God that doesn't look like Jesus. It's hard to envision God as, as a loving father and friend. And you need help, you say. Well, regardless of where you're at this morning, right, whether you're struggling in some way or you're feeling positive about life, it doesn't matter. We all need to hear these words of wisdom from the book of James. Listen to what James says. James chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, he said, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect, that is wholesome, gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good and wholesome gift is from God. Think about that. Listen to how Eugene Peterson puts it in his message Bible. I like it to put it this way. He says, so my dear friends, don't get thrown off course. Every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. The gifts are rivers of light cascading down from the Father of light. And so let's now apply this message to our lives and practice what is being preached. Let's give it a go together, shall we? Look at these questions here that I have for us. Number one, where do you see signs of God's goodness in the world? Stop and just think about that for a minute. Where do you see signs of goodness? And we can start with the stories that we heard this morning. Where do you see signs of God's goodness in the world? And then secondly, what are the good gifts that God has given you? Hopefully you were thinking about that. Some of that was coming into your mind as you heard these stories. What are the good gifts that God has given you? And lastly, will you reflect on God's goodness? And then tell of that goodness to others around you. I'm going to invite us into just a moment of silence and reflection. I'm going to invite us in to think about God's good gifts to you, to yourself. Let's begin with that. Let's do that now. Just close your eyes. Let's sit in a moment of silence and think about God's good gifts to you.
as these good gifts come to your mind, just thank God for those good gifts. Just thank him right now. Just say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these good gifts. We do see signs of your goodness in the world. Forgive us, Lord, of how we often saturate our minds and hearts in the darkness and aren't more intentional as disciples to move toward the light. Help us to move toward the light. God, we are so thankful for your good gifts all of the many ways that you've blessed each and every one of us. Signs of your love, evidence of light. We thank you for that, Lord. Now help us, God, to share that goodness, that, that gratitude with others. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So what I'm going to do now is I want to ask you to, and I know some of you are introverted and this isn't your favorite thing to do. The Lord will help you get over it, okay? We invite you to move towards some people close to you and just form a little small group and take about five minutes or so to share some of the things that God brought to your mind. And we don't want anybody sitting alone or by themselves. Even if you don't know them, let's include everyone. So I'm gonna ask you to do that now. Get with a group of people, take about five minutes, and share the goodness of God with others in the ways the Lord has blessed you. Let's do that together.